a Lifetime original podcast. This episode covers topics that include murder and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. On July 26, 2001, the Detroit Free Press ran a headline that read, Bandit Queen's Bloody End, a modern legend assassinated. Pulan Devi was a member of the Indian Parliament, and for tens of thousands of lower caste people across India, she was practically a goddess fighting against the evils of caste discrimination. Above the article, there's a picture of her body wrapped in white cloth, her widower weeping over it, and another relative in anguish resting her hand on the cloth. Just yesterday, Poulan was alive, and she was returning home for lunch after an early morning session of Parliament. She steps out of the car in a vibrant purple and yellow sari. Her security guard escorts her to her house gate. Three men lurk in the street waiting for her. Masks cover their faces. They draw their guns and begin to shoot. Her security guard immediately returns fire as bullets whiz past him. Poulan is struck in the chest and the head. She falls to the ground beneath a neem tree, murmuring her last words that no one will hear. Poulan's relative runs out of their house as the assailants speed off in their car, leaving nothing but dust in their wake. Shell casings riddle the ground around Poulan. Her loved one yells out in horror, Poulan Didi has been shot, and begs for someone to call an ambulance. He tries to mop up the blood with his handkerchief, but Poulan is already dead. The assassination was a tragedy to her supporters, but to her enemies, it was justice, a long time coming. The men that killed her came for revenge. Revenge for a crime Poulan committed two decades earlier. Revenge for the execution of some 20 men. So, why did she kill these men? And how did that mass murder earn her the title, the Bandit Queen? I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so this story takes place in India. And before we get into the story, we want to set the stage a bit. First, a reminder about the caste system in India. It's been around for thousands of years, and it's essentially a class system, but it's not about money. You're born into your caste, and it determines what jobs you can have, where you can live, and even what doors you would use to go into a temple. And in rural India, members of the castes, whether they're high, middle, or low, each have gangs of bandits, and the bandits are called dacoits. They fight for territory, kidnap members of high castes, and do what gangs do, kill and steal. However, if a gang is fighting for your village, they're fighting for you. It feels sort of like Robin Hood. 
steal from the rich and give to the poor. I also just want to reiterate the trigger warning from the top of the episode. This one does contain a lot, a lot, a lot of sexual assault. And if you're not prepared for that, I'm going to say go ahead and turn back now. Come join us next week. And we'll see you then. But if not, let's get to the story. It's Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1981. There's 20 men walking across the Yamuna River in central India, and they are all dressed as policemen. They're in police uniforms. They're not police. They are a group of dacoits. So they cross and they approach this small village of Bamai, and nobody pays much attention to them because they're in police uniforms. But then they get a closer look and they notice something super weird. Leading the group is in fact a small woman dressed in police clothes. And to be very clear, I don't think many police officers in India are women. So this is a bit of an oddity. Her hair is in a bob. She's wearing a khaki coat, blue jeans, boots with zippers, and three silver stars on her uniform that mark her as a deputy superintendent of police. And she has ammunition across her chest. She's carrying a submachine gun, and in one hand, she's holding a megaphone. The officers of her gang that she's leading stop in front of the village shrine, and some of them start walking around and sealing all the doors shut. Makes us nervous. Makes us nervous. She turns on that megaphone and makes an announcement to everyone, and this is straight up Pulp Fiction vibes. She says, Listen Listen to me, you mother mother effers. You're You're surrounded. surrounded. Anyone Anyone who tries tries to to escape will be shot. Also, I just want to note, she probably does use the actual F word, even though I didn't. You mean we don't have a budget for bleeping, so you have to say Fers every time the F word comes up? <laughs> we don't have a budget for beeps. Okay, that's fine. She tells her decoits to round up all the men in the village. All of them are upper caste turbaned warriors that are known as Thakurs, and you're going to want to remember that name for later. So they're all in a line, and she starts pacing, walking down the line in front of them, pointing a gun in all of their faces. She's walking up and down the aisles, and the men start to sort of put her face to a name, a person they remember. They recognize her. She's not a police officer. Her name is Pulan Devi, and they know they're in trouble because she's not there for a random crime. She's there for revenge. So while her decoits rob the village, she's walking down the line in front of these guys and she's using the butt of her gun to hit him in the crotch. So you know it's personal. Yeesh. So she lines all of the men up along the Yamuna River and one by one, they are executed. Some say 22 men are killed. Some say 20. We're going to call them 20-ish. One news article says that Pulan Devi laughed as she left the village that day. Her revenge plan executed perfectly, pun intended. Okay, so you're probably wondering, who is this Pulan Devi really, and why did she execute these men? To answer that question, we have to go back in time eight years before this moment. Pulan Devi is just about 10 years old. She lives in a village near the Indian Badlands, and the land there is littered with these anthill-like mountains, We'll refer to them as ravines because you can snake between them like a maze. So 
she's born into one of the lowest caste systems in Indian society. And like we said, it's determined at birth. Um, However, her family, she has a house and an acre of land, which is more than some of the people in her caste. Um, But still, they have no political influence. They have no way to kind of get out of this sort of struggle and in poverty. And being born a woman as well, Pulan is not taught to read or write because that's not something that anybody expects her to need in her life. She is a little bit of a rebel. When she's around 10 years old, she stages a protest in the middle of her village because she has this relative that we're going to call M, who allegedly takes 15 acres of land from her dad. And M has friends in the high caste, so there's really nothing Pulan's dad can do to stop him. But Pulan is not going to back down. So she's marching around the village square, just yelling insults about M, calling him names. And he hears that she's doing this. And he's like, I'm not going to take shit from a 10-year-old girl. So he shows up and throws a brick at her. It hits her square in the head and knocks her unconscious. Her dad further says, hey, listen, we're born into this caste system. You have a life of servitude. You're going to be doing the society's dirty jobs. But she still has that hope that one day it'll be better for her. Well, it actually gets much worse for her after this because then she turns 11 and M, that relative of hers, convinces her father to trade a cow for her hand in marriage. So she's forced to marry a man named Pudi who's much older and he's already had three wives who have died and you know, this is where she finds herself. However, I will say the legal age of marriage in India is 15, which is four years past her current age. She's 11 years old at this point. However, these laws are not really enforced in the rural parts of India. So her family strikes kind of a deal with Pudi. Hey, you can marry Pulan. However, you have to wait a couple of years before she moves in with you. So they have this arrangement. But after only a few months, Pudi comes in and he's like, listen, my wife, my property. And he takes Pulan from her family. And he is horrible to her. She's 11 years old and he's allegedly beating her and raping her. And it's just horrifying what she's going through. She ends up becoming violently ill and has to return home to her family. So, Pooty, he's not a great husband to this 11-year-old girl. He seems like a monster. So when she leaves to go home, she's the one that bears the brunt of all these repercussions by leaving her husband. This has breached a big social code. So apparently her family tells her that she's disgraced the family and she needs to throw herself in a well. I don't think any of us are feeling great about that, and that's an understatement. So Pulan ends up not going through with it. Again, we have this, we see from this 10-year-old version of her that she was hopeful and she wanted a better life, and and she also was protesting. I mean, I think she had such a strong sense of self-injustice and that she did not go through with it. And to add insult to injury at this point— Pulan is sent to live with her uncle and her horrible relative, M, who knocked her unconscious with a brick. And M is a terror to her. She's living with her tormentor. 
he apparently taunts her, demeans her, and eventually he drives her back to her monster of a quote-unquote husband, Pootie, where she eventually becomes a servant in the household for three years. And then at 15, she finally gets to return to her family's home. But remember, she didn't throw herself in the well, so to her family, she's still a disgrace, and she's gained a reputation for wandering by the Yamuna River. The villagers are spreading rumors about her. They're saying that she's a sex worker. And that she spends all her time servicing decoits. It's January 1979, and M's home is robbed by decoits. He immediately blames Poulan. He claims that she helped her decoit friends steal from his family. So the police listen to M. In fact, he has friends in the police department. So they put Poulan in custody for a month where she says police beat, abuse, and rape her. And if that wasn't bad enough, once she gets released from custody, Poulan says that M then hires a group of high-caste decoits to kidnap her. Poulan is supposedly dragged through the Badlands and taken to a high-caste decoit leader, Babu Gujur. Next to him is his lieutenant, a man named Vikram Mala. She's kept there three days and allegedly beaten and raped again. I don't want to hammer it home even further, but it keeps going through my mind that she's still a kid. We haven't even gotten to adulthood yet, and this is the life this person has led. It's it's really brutal. She is going to catch a little bit of a break because on the third day, Babu's lieutenant, Vikram Mala, he sees what they're doing to her. And something in him says this isn't right. Vikram is this young, wiry guy. He's a low-caste man, and he's been watching Poulan for years. And they've seen each other at the Yamuna River. And he recognizes her as this badass girl. And he's grown to really admire her. So when he sees her beaten at the hands of Babu, his superior, something in him just snaps. He takes a gun. He shoots Babu Gujar and he takes control of the gang. So Vikram is from a lower caste, so him killing Babu Gujar is already a big no-no. But the fact that he's doing it for a low caste girl is even more egregious. It causes a whole reshifting of the gang. And there's these two high caste brothers who were very loyal to Babu Gujar, and they leave in protest. After Vikram does this for her, Poulan doesn't leave. Instead, she decides to become Vikram's right hand, a decoit, and they actually end up falling in love. It's very strange meet-cute, admittedly. Uh, Now, women, let alone teenage girls, were rarely decoits. So back in her village, women start to write songs about Poulan's exploits. Vikram, meanwhile, is teaching Poulan Everything he knows. So, you know, if this is a movie, here's where we'd cut to the montage. And he's teaching her how to handle a gun. And she's a crack shot right away. And she cuts her hair. And he gets her a transistor radio so she can play her Bollywood music. It's like very, like, I imagine like an 80s power ballad. And just like montages out the wazoo. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Over the next year, Vikram leads the gang through all of central India, through sandy ridges, ravines, and jungles, and they rob, they loot, they hold up trains, they ransack upper caste homes, they murder and kidnap along the way. It's very like Bonnie and Clyde, the two of them, because he's the leader and she's his right-hand person, and she has this air of respect around her. And according to Poulan, before and after each of these sort of missions that they go on to rob and kidnap and kill, the dacoits would stop at hidden temples and they would pay homage to Durga, the goddess of strength and protection. And Pulan believes Durga acted through her and she's showing her signs to warn of imminent danger. Like, she becomes this godlike person, right? Yeah. Because she thinks that Durga is communicating with her through different omens or signs around her. At one point, a snake slithers into her lap when they're about to set camp somewhere. And she says, I don't feel good about this. Durga's telling me, let's beat it. And they do. And then 10 minutes later, police show up. But thanks to Poulon's sixth sense, they've already gone. Every time she reads an omen, Vikram listens to her. And then there is this one time that he doesn't. And this unheeded warning will almost cost her her life. I think it's fair to say that you got to trust Poulan's gut. I mean, she's yes. been through so much. I bet her sense of what's dangerous and what's safe. her has got to be right on. It's got to be right on. So it's August of 1980. She and the Decoits are camped in the jungle, and it's monsoon rain. So it is pouring down at the camp. And she sees a crow sitting on a dead tree. She immediately thinks it's Durga giving her a warning. So she looks to Vikram and she's like, Vikram, we got to get out of here. There's something dangerous. There's something happening. Someone is, something is telling me we have to get out. But this is the one time he says, no, maybe it's the monsoon rain. Maybe something, I don't know what happened, but he goes to bed and Poulan follows. But they wake up to the sound of gunfire. Vikram sits up and Poulan reaches for their rifles to arm them, thinking the police are here. But bang, before she can even arm him, Vikram is shot and falls in Poulan's lap, dead. She looks up to see two assassins standing over them, and it is those two brothers and friends of Babu Gujar who had left Vikram's gang after he came into power. And now they are here to avenge Babu's murder and retake the gang from Vikram. And now she knows she's facing a fate much worse than death. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Pulan wakes up in a boat on the Yamuna River. She remembers Vikram, her rescuer and lover, has been murdered. And his assassins have kidnapped her. They used chloroform to knock her out. Her mouth is gagged, her legs and arms bound. The boat comes to a dock at Bamai, which is a small village of only about 50 families. And most of them are warriors. And most of them are members of the upper caste called Dakur, which is that name I told you to remember from before. They throw Pulan into a filthy, dark hut. And like so many other men have already done to her, they use and abuse her body. For 22 days, men from this gang beat and rape her repeatedly. It feels like Vikram got off easy in this moment of being killed. What she's going through is horrific torture. And by the 23rd day, her body is covered in bruises, her hair matted, her eyes are described as someone who's lost everything. Like, all life in her eyes are gone. Her captors come to her that day, and they drag her out of the shed into the sunlight, and she only has a blanket to cover herself. The men then demand her to fetch water for them in view of the entire village. She's being publicly humiliated. But Pulan being Pulan, she refuses. They rip the blanket off of her. They kick her until she finally gives in. And naked, she walks to the well as the men spit at her and taunt her. But there is one man that sees this happening that feels pity for her. It's a local priest. And that evening, before Pulan's abusers can come back to that hut... That priest rescues Pulan. She's so hurt and so weak that she can't even muster the strength to escape with him. So he puts her in a cart and pushes her away out of the village into safety. I'm so struck specifically by Vikram and the priest. Here are these two men who stood up for her when no one else would. And listen, I'm not saying like, oh, because of these men, she's alive. I just think it's such a valuable reminder to be those men. If something is wrong, you can stop it. It takes one person. It takes this one is person. a gang of really dangerous warriors. And it took one guy in this village. And, I, you know, I'm sure he risked his life doing it, but he wouldn't right. stand for this. And he helps her escape. As Poulan recovers in safety, she can't help but think... If she had just heeded the warning from Durga, maybe she would be safe. Maybe Vikram would be alive. And that, and that reflection turns very quickly to anger and rage. And she wants revenge. So she turns back to Durga. Durga is the goddess of protection and strength, but also she's the goddess of destruction and war. So she's the right person to ask. She's a good person to ask because you know what? Durga unleashes divine wrath against those who would oppress the weak 
and the low. And I got to tell you, having a woman in that driver's seat, hell yeah. Makes Let's sense go, to me. Let's go, Durga. Let's go. Let's go, Durga. Over the next year, Poulon gathers her own gang and fashions herself as the leader. It's pretty uh, unorthodox, once again, that a, a teenage uh, girl would lead Decoits, but by this time, Poulon is a woman of legend. Step aside, Will Smith, because she is legend. <laughs> the men of her gang treat her with respect, and they even probably fear her. So she's only 17, but, you know, these, these men are cleaning her guns, they're making her food, they're bowing, they're paying her homage as if she was Durga incarnate. Yes, yes, give her the respect she finally deserves. So Poulon starts making a list of all the people who wronged her. Very Arya Stark. Very Arya Stark. I mean, think about it, teenage girl. I mean, I'm wondering if the writers were influenced by Poulon, frankly, because Poulon did it first. Really? Okay, she did it first, she did better. So on Poulon's list, there are her abusers, her torturers, and anyone who she wished to pay back in kind key among them are those two freaking brothers. Those guys who kidnapped her, who murdered Vikram, and who brought her to Bamai to be tortured and beaten. Let's go back to that fateful Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1981, where that group of 20 men, led by a woman dressed in police clothes, strides into the town of Bamai. Poulon, with megaphone in hand, proceeds to line up the men of the village, and one by one, each man is shot. Now, we can't verify whether any or all the men were involved in her captivity or her rape, but they were her retribution. If she can't have those brothers who kidnapped her, she will have them. Word spreads quickly in what becomes known as the St. Valentine's Massacre and the decoit who led it. And people are shocked. These men were upper-caste men, and the person who gunned them down was a lower-caste woman. Girl. Girl! Well, she could be a woman now. She's lived long enough. She's 17, but she's earned it. (laughs) Hell yeah. So this means she's on the run. The men she killed, because they were of higher caste than she was, they have connections to politicians and police. And also, as a woman, she has to be made an example out of. There is a bounty of 100,000 rupees offered for her capture. 2,500 agents are deployed to hunt her down. But lucky for her, they can't be certain what she looks like. There are no pictures of her. And I think this is such a benefit of being a woman here where it's you're seen as being invisible, where nobody's going to have her picture. Nobody's going to know what she looks like. And she gets to use that to her advantage to run away. I think it's just so interesting that all this money and resources have been put into finding her and bringing her to quote-unquote justice when she's lived years and no one has put any resources or money or anything towards protecting her. Well, one week later, the resources work out and they catch up to Poulon and her gang. And for two days and three nights, the police pursue Poulon on horseback through the dusty terrain, through ravines where the decoits often hid. They would turn a corner and they'd see the decoits and just as soon as they'd see him, they'd lose him and there'd be guns blazing in both directions. But she and her gang continued to evade the police. Poulon and her gang escape the police, and this chase 
makes her even more famous. And the story spreads all across the world. One headline reads how the bandit queen revenged a gang rape. So to some, she's a hero for the low cast. Many women feminists see her as a hero because she's avenging her own assault. But to others, she's a vicious murderer. She's a siren, a promiscuous succubus who sleeps with men before killing them because of course they think that. Even Americans think it, on the level that, I mean, American newspapers are picking up the story. The Detroit Free Press says, at 21, she was the village whore. Now 24, she is an outlaw queen. You know, very nice. Um, I just want to flag something for you, Detroit Free Press. We don't say whore. We say sex worker. And in this particular instance, we don't say sex worker. We say child rape victim. You know, I'm not very easily triggered, but uh, I also want to note uh, the ages are way off. That's the thing that's so insane to me, too. do your job. Do your job. She was 17. Mm -hmm. They list her as 21. I think they can't imagine, again, I'll say it again, a child having gone through all of what she went through. After the many unsuccessful attempts to capture Poulan, a police superintendent named Rahendra Chaturvedi comes up with this ingenious, brilliant ploy to capture her. Can you guess what he does? Tell me. He asks her nicely. Oh. That's it. She's just looking for a modicum, a minuscule amount of respect. That's it. So he meets Poulan in the ravines of central India, where she feels the most safe. And he tries to negotiate her surrender. And here are her terms. She insists that she and her gang won't be killed or mistreated, and they will serve no more than eight years in prison. And that when they are in prison, they will be in a nice prison, one for VIPs. And additionally, she negotiates that her father will be given back the 15 acres of land M took from her family, which... I love, because even in this moment where she's negotiating her capture, she still is thinking about justice. What is right, what is just, what is fair, and it's incredible that she's using this as leverage to help other people, which I think is also something that really highlights who she is as a person. Definitely. They agree to all her terms. And then in February of 1983, Poulan and her gang arrive in the city of Bind. 8,000 people gather to see this bandit queen and her gang of decoits for the first time ever. And it's like the legend has come to life. The Beatles are here. There's journalists, human rights officials, feminists among the crowd, and they're cheering. Poulan steps out on the stage and the city is just so excited to see her with their own eyes. She is legend. She's wearing uh, that police uniform, the khakis with a red bandana across her brow, and she's got her rifle slung over her shoulder and a dagger in her belt. On the stage, they set up two portraits, one of Mahatma Gandhi and the other of the goddess Durga. And Poulan lays her weapons down in front of them before turning to the police and submitting to her fate. I just love that she gets to do it on her own terms. I love that it, this moment, it feels like you're like, is this, in the movie ending, this would be it. And I wish. It was. Oh, I wish it was. I wish it was. I wish it was. Can we just say the end? Can we say the end? I think no. we have to tell them the Let's whole story. Let's tell them what happened. Almost immediately, they go back on some of their negotiations, just like she feared. 
once she's in a jail cell, the agreement she negotiated on just evaporates. Her fellow decoits abandon her and are tried in a different state against her wishes. The prison she is in is not VIP. She's essentially locked in a cell and forgotten. And I mean, I think she feels really alone because all the men she was negotiating on behalf of are gone. That You know, they die or they move on. She's by herself. She has no money, so she can't get any legal help. And she is in prison 11 years with no trial, no legal recourse. But her fellow decoits, who are all of a higher caste than her, they're let off. They don't have any charges for the St. Valentine's Massacre. It all falls on Poulan. And like we said before, it just takes one person to recognize the injustice and do the right thing. And in in 1989, a lower caste politician is elected chief minister in the state where Poulan committed her massacre. He is sympathetic to her oppression by the upper castes. And in 1994, he withdraws all charges against her, freeing her in one foul swoop. She's a hero to low castes of Indian society. And with her release, they feel seen, they feel vindication for their struggles against the upper caste who oppress them. And newspapers that are reporting on this release don't even really mention her crimes. They just focus on the legend that's grown around her. The avenging angel, the rebel of the ravines, a lower caste fisherman's daughter from the badlands of Delhi who leveled a bolt action Mauser rifle in protest against a life of lower caste misery and male repression. Hear that, Detroit Free Press? Now that is how you write a headline. So what a... What a shift, truly, in the news that was covered previously to now. All the images of her are now as a crusading feminist icon and a caste crusher, and it bolsters her image all across India. As soon as she gets out of prison, she goes on a tour of interviews. She declares that she will use her freedom to work for the upliftment of women and the downtrodden because— We've said from the beginning she has this deep sense of justice, and I don't think she ever was doing it just for her. It feels like she was doing it for those like her to make Mm -hmm. sure nobody does this again. And she goes on tours to Hindu shrines and holds an audience with delegates and low-caste politicians hoping to recruit her as a candidate, or at least a symbol of their fight against the oppression of the caste system. It just seems like everything's really turned around for Poulan with more than a decade out of the spotlight and a legend that has only strengthened her image, she's become a true hero to the low caste and to women. So in 1996, Poulan declares her candidacy for parliament, even though, as you flagged earlier, Carrie, she's illiterate, and even though she still has dozens of charges pending against her. I just love that. So during her campaign... The American newspaper, The Atlantic, they interview her, and she is bold and unapologetic. And she refers to her husband using the term my wife in Hindi and has him make her food. And she talks openly about um, her time as a dacoit and is proud when she speaks about her acts of revenge. It feels like she's really turning turning this like gender identity on its head, calling her husband her wife and having him make food for her. She also campaigns at this point in the remote villages near her family's home. 
She rides in a motorcade guarded heavily by armed security and portrays herself as the Gandhi of Mirzapur, appealing to the frustrations of the low caste Indians, which make up 85% of the electorate. A massive majority. Yeah, stands a good chance here. And how cool must it be to go back to the village you grew up in that kind of pummeled you and chewed you up and spit you out and you show up with your motorcade? It's pretty rad. Super rad. But the families of her victims are staging protests over her candidacy. Of course. As we've said before, there's no proof that these all 20-some men that were executed were a part of this crime. So I could understand that in their eyes, they lost their loved ones. So this has to be pretty hard to watch. Poulan's campaign is successful, and in May 1996, she is elected as a member of the Samajwadi Party, a low-caste party, the same party whose leaders dropped the charges against her. She serves several years in parliament, always working to crush the caste system and give women more rights. But the men of Bamai never forget her. On July 25th, 2001, Three men out to avenge the victims of the St. Valentine's Massacre assassinate Hulan Devi in a bloody rain of gunfire. One of the men is caught and sentenced to life in prison for Hulan's murder. At his sentencing, a crowd of Thakur men gather to cheer him on. The story of Hulan Devi is pretty hard to listen to at times. Right? At times. <laughs> it's a brutal life she lived. And she also paid back that brutality in spades. And as an anecdote that feels like an interesting place to end, while Poulan was in jail, a movie about her called Bandit Queen premieres at the Cannes Film Festival and it gets rave reviews. Yeah, but Poulan hates it. For one, they didn't consult her at all for the movie. Seems pretty crazy. And she also says it made her look like a sniveling, weak woman who never made a conscious decision in her life. She says twice when this movie is released, she threatens to burn herself alive in front of a movie theater where it's shown. To which I would argue, Poulon, come on, you made it this far. It's just a movie. But there is one exchange from the Atlantic interview that she did in 1996 that really stands out to me. And I think it really encapsulates something about the story that is really important. The, the interviewer asks her why she hates the film that was made about her. And she talks about how it portrayed her as being raped over and over again. And then the interviewer cuts in, but you were raped. And then Poulan interrupts and says, you can call it rape in your fancy language. Do you have any idea what it's like to live in a village in India? What you call rape That kind of thing happens to poor women in the villages every day. It is assumed that the daughters of the poor are for the use of the rich. They assume that we're their property. In the villages, the poor have no toilets, so we must go to the fields. And the moment we arrive, the rich lay us there. We can't cut the grass or tend to our crops without being accosted by them. We are the property of the rich. And then she goes silent as if she's sort of trying to decide whether to go on or not, and then says, they wouldn't let us live in peace. You will never understand what kind of humiliation that is. And maybe we can't really understand what Poulan Devi went through. Yeah, gosh, this story, 
when you tell it, when you read it, you get really worked up, sort of rooting for her, right? And feeling like when she does these violent things, you kind of, despite yourself, you you feel like, hell yeah, you know, take your revenge. And stories of vigilante justice, they're so tricky that way. There's this weight of questioning whether or not a person who takes action is morally justified. And, And in my opinion, she was, but then the bigger question actually becomes, well, why did it fall to her to be the person that made these men pay? And and I I feel like I wouldn't be doing Poulon justice if I didn't mention that she probably wouldn't want us to even be discussing that, but rather focusing on all that she achieved. And you can't deny she had so many obstacles to overcome. And look where she was at. She ended her life in parliament. But what I'm so interested in is that early moment where she was supposedly told to go to a well and kill herself. And Poulan refused. I mean, how many girls don't refuse and we never hear from them? How many survivors are there that we don't hear from? And I think with Poulan in this story, she puts a face to the plight of these women um, who are invisible and not defended and not helped. And she had the autonomy and ownership of who she was before anyone else did in her. And that that strength and that power that she carried throughout her life is truly miraculous. Guys, folks, folks, this was a hard episode. And I just want to share that there is a national sexual assault hotline. It is free. It is confidential. It is 24-7. Call 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673 to be connected with a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area. You are not alone. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime. And stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it just might be the case we talk about next. We used many sources to tell today's stories. Among them, we found the following sources particularly helpful. The biography Devi, the Bandit Queen by Richard Shears and Isabel Gidley. The autobiography I, Poulan Devi by Poulan Devi. And an article from The Atlantic titled India's Bandit Queen by Mary Ann Weaver. We highly recommend you check these out if you want to learn more. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tana Robbins and Julie Magruder. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Quinlan Posner, and Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Hans Dale Shee. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.